0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the
1: Air. The 2021 Dunedin Writers and Readers
0: Festival was held in Ōtepoti Dunedin, our UNESCO City of Literature, from the 6th until the 9th of May. In this podcast series, we share recordings from these sessions with you. In Crossing Genres, best-selling author Nalini Singh joined Kirby Jane Hallam to talk about how and why she's crossed genres, from paranormal romance to crime thrillers, presented by Booksellers New Zealand. Kia ora. Welcome. Really thrilled to be here to um, host this session with Nalini Singh on crossing genres. Um, Nalini is a New York Times and internationally best-selling author of the Side Changeling and Guild Hunter series of paranormal romances. She also writes New Zealand-set thrillers. The most recently released of which is Quiet in Her Bones. Um, publishers Weekly call it lushly written, multi-layered mystery that will keep readers guessing, and I can attest to that. Um, Her contemporary romances include the Rock Kiss and Hard Play series, the latter of which revolves around a rugby-loving family in Auckland. 32 of Nalini's solo titles have hit the New York Times bestseller list, most recently Archangel's Son in November 2020. Um, Her books have also hit the USA Today, Publishers Weekly and Wall Street Journal bestseller lists, as well as the Spiegel bestseller list in Germany. Her books regularly appear on New Zealand's uh, Nielsen Bookscan Bestsellers list and I've got the pleasure of having a wonderful conversation with her this afternoon with you Um, and I'd particularly like to thank Bestsellers New Zealand for supporting this session and bringing us all together today. So welcome. I want to start by um, first of all introducing, this is Nalini Singh and I'm Kirby Hallam and I want to think about COVID-19. We'll start there because, you know... But for me, COVID-19 was the year of the pivot. And when I think about a pivot, it's about doing something a little bit differently. And so I was wondering, with the journey that you've gone on with your writing from your paranormal romances through to Quiet in Her Bones, is that something of a pivot for you, or was it a natural journey that you found yourself on as a writer?
1: It wasn't so much a pivot, because in my other series, even though they're speculative fiction... There's a lot of mysteries built into it. So, for example, the first of my Guildhunter books, Angel- Angel's Blood, it's about tracking down a murderous archangel, <laughs> yep. So, which sounds like really not the same, but it is. It's the same structure in terms of a mystery structure, um, even though it's in a fantastical world. Um, so what changed with these books is that it's very specifically New Zealand okay. settings, Um, And obviously very real, real world and no, yeah, non-real elements.
0: (laughs) No changelings. Yeah. (laughs) You can lower your mic. Okay. And what does the writing process look like when you're sitting down, I don't know if you write laptop or pen and paper however you sit down, and you're thinking about conjuring this world – um, a New Zealand, um, a domestic New Zealand noir versus um, these amazing story worlds of your paranormal romances. What does that look like for you in a, ri- in a writing process? Just
1: physically? Or, or yeah, both, both? Emotionally, both. physically, yeah. spiritually. Um, oh, it's, it's usually an idea for both of them. Um, and with the paranormal w- worlds, mostly it's a what if. Yeah. What if we were telepathic? And what if it drove us insane to be telepathic? What would we do to survive? So everything revolves around that concept. And then I start working. And what I'm finding with the thrillers is that it tends to be a snapshot of something I've seen or heard in New Zealand. Um, So my first thriller, A Madness of Sunshine, I just travelled through uh, the west coast of the South Island. And I remember... So there were a lot of elements, but this one particular image really struck with me. It was a backpacker. She got off at the head of a trail, um, and she was by herself. And I saw her disappearing, you know, like when you see a trail like this, and it vanishes at the vanishing point. And she just disappeared into there. And I just was like, it's kind of creepy, you know. And (laughs) I was kind of worried about her. I I didn't know her at all. (laughs) And it just stuck with me how easily someone could vanish into the bush and never be found, you know. And um, so that really, really stuck with me. And with Quiet in Her Bones, um, it's set, you know, in the Waitakere Ranges Regional Park. And it's beautiful um, if you've ever been up there. But it's also very, again, easy to disappear Mm. into there.
0: I'm nodding like I'm agreeing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And this is something I actually didn't think about until very recently. So the book's already out. Everyone's reading it. And I didn't make the connection until now. But when I was at university, I did a ride-along in a police vehicle for my degree. It was something we could do. And um, one of the things they found that day was an abandoned car in the Waitakere Ranges Regional Park. (laughs) had kind of fallen down this embankment and kind of been buried a little bit. And this book begins with a car buried Mm. in the forest. And somewhere in the back of my brain, that had obviously been sitting for a really long time. And it just came out in this book. So I think sometimes I'm not as conscious Mm. of where it begins Um, and just sit down and and write. Um, Yeah. As for the physical part of it. Um, I do have an office, yep. a study at home. Yep. Now, <laughs> previously um, it was just anywhere, yep. and I used to write on a laptop, like for the past twenty years. But it's not very good for your body. Ergonomics, <laughs> yeah, early. it's yep. not it's not the best. Nice. So I've just switched to like a mechanical keyboard and a bigger screen so yeah. that it still runs off my laptop but yeah. and i dictate sometimes yeah. and again that's not for any reason except physical yeah. like stress yeah. from typing yeah. so um, it can be interesting dictation because the software has to learn your voice and your accent and the way you speak yeah. and so every so often <laughs> sentence comes out it's like i have no idea what <laughs> i was saying there no idea why is this morris minor in in the cave you know it's, <laughs> Literally so, but yeah, it's, it's good for first drafts, yep. you know, just,
0: just to getting get it, out. it out there, yep.
1: yeah, instead of typing it, yeah.
0: And then when you're writing, are you in the zone? Are you like, no one talk to me, <laughs> or are you quite um, methodical in taking breaks, or what does that look like for you?
1: Um, I'm terrible at taking breaks. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I really do like peace and quiet and um but I can produce that for myself so I've literally ridden on the floor of an airport you know sitting there with my laptop and what I do is I put headphones in and I listen to rain so I literally bought an album of rain sounds I have different albums of rain sounds (laughs) I have one that's crackling fire and rain (laughs) I really like that one and then there's the cave cave rain sounds where the stalactites are dripping water so they're beautiful um But it acts as a kind of white noise to sort of get me into the writing zone. So it doesn't matter where I am, I can create the bubble I need to write. Um, And that's a really useful trick Mm. um, that allows me to travel and stuff. But um, at home, you know, I have my office and I do like working in that space. Um, And I work in it a lot because I work – I think working from home, it's having – which I think a lot of people would have learnt – (laughs) <laughs> this past year and a half is you need a kind of division yeah. between your, your non work life and your work life. And having that space is really good. And it's good for my creativity as well because I walk into that room and I'm like, I'm surrounded by my books, I'm surrounded by my notes. You know, just it's nice. I've got artwork that relates to my work. And yeah, it's just, it's good. Yeah. And what
0: was COVID 19 lockdown like for a writer?
1: It's quite funny. I was on deadline. Oh, right. (laughs) I basically don't leave my house anyway on deadline. So (laughs) it was exactly the same. (laughs) I I mean, it really was. I worked and it was a gift in a way because I worked through it. Yeah. And because the book had to be in, I was, they already paid me. So (laughs) I had to give them a book. And, um, yeah. So for me, that first lockdown was easy in a way, Mm. um, in that I was working, of course it was difficult because I couldn't see, you know, as we all couldn't see the family and friends. And so that was really hard because I am so used to just dropping by and seeing someone for coffee. And I have a few writers I meet with once a week because we all work from home and we decided a while ago that we were turning a bit weird. <laughs> so we should, <laughs> we should have some human contact <laughs> once in a while. And, uh, and I really missed that, yeah. just just that conversation with yep. other people like, yep. that are doing the same kind of thing. But um, I think I actually had more of an impact as it kept going yep. because it's quite hard to be creative with that pressure yep. in the back of your head, that constant awareness that it could all change. And I think a lot of people probably felt that. Um, yep. And I know f- from talking to my friends, that a lot of them struggled with the focus, yeah. um, and I think a lot of people will find that whether they're creative work or not, just focus yeah. on the work, yeah. yeah,
0: and also the permission to let yourself not work if that's yes. yeah. what the moment calls for. Yeah.
1: Like sometimes you just want to sit and stare at Netflix for <laughs> two hours, you know, because your brain is just tired, and um, so yeah, yeah, there yeah. were a few days like that. <laughs>
0: So quite in Her Bones, you've got um, a couple of series of novels and I'm thinking of this imprint of the car that you've had and I'm wondering what other imprints might be lying latent in there wanting to come out. Do you think that'll turn into a series? Is, are we going to see more of Arav or is it a standalone?
1: It's meant to be a standalone, yeah. yeah. So I, I have a tendency to write series. It's, I'm drawn to it. Yep. And I read series as well and I really enjoy it but I already write two long-running series and I was really want to write standalone. So the thrillers are standalones yeah. at this point. So I'll always leave that door open in case <laughs> in case I decide I really desperately would like to go back. You
0: might have some more stories to That's tell. That's right,
1: yeah. <laughs> He's an interesting character.
0: He so. is. He's a, I'm, I'm conscious of people that might not have finished, so I'm being careful with words. Um, that trope of the unreliable narrator... Um, and the, the way you move between his spoken dialogue versus his internal consciousness, it makes a reader w- really work to say, is he saying that out loud? Is he not saying that out loud? What's he giving away to us and what's he giving away to the people around him? Um, is this your first foray into first-person narrative?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was the first time. I usually write in the third person, yeah. and, but it just came out that way. When I started writing, Arav just I was in his head. And his voice was really strong. And I thought, okay, I guess I'm doing it. (laughs) First person male narrator. Here we go. (laughs) And um, when I told my agent and my editor, they were all very like, yeah, yeah, go for it. But then later after I turned in the book, they said, yeah, we didn't know what you were going to do with this. So we were just hoping for the best. (laughs) But, um, yeah, actually it worked out. (laughs) But, um, it was interesting in a way, it was easy because it just came out that way i didn 't have to force it. It actually would have been more forced to try and take it into the third person because sometimes books just want to be written a certain way, yeah. and I believe in just following that that cue from the characters um, I did like I did have obviously i've been a writer for a long time now, so but for this book, I did actually go and do some craft like research yep. for writing first-person narration yep. to say, am I doing this right? You know, I, I wanted to be sure I yep. had the right grounding yep. for it. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it was very instinctive.
0: Okay, cool. Um, and what I was also wanting to know about this particular novel before we switch into some of the other novels that I know people will be desperate to unpick. Um, do you have any... Um, fellow New Zealand NZ Noir, or Yair Noir, as I've heard um, Professor Liam McElvenny call it, um, writers that you uh, enjoy reading or or feel like you're responding to some of their style of writing as well? Or is this something you've done in your own...
1: It's kind of interesting because I deliberately didn't read a lot of New Zealand uh, stuff that came out recently because I didn't want to be influenced Mm. by what was being out there already. So I'm actually now catching up on a lot of New Zealand authors. Yep. So um, I can't give you any um, recs right now because I'm, <laughs> I'm still working my way through. You know, I want to read like a really wide variety yep. uh, because I feel like now I've found my voice and how I want to write. Now I can read the others. It's this weird thing that we writers have or we obsess over. We don't want to be, we don't want to copy someone by accident. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's this thing of uh, I won't read it in that genre Particularly because in this one I was trying something new You know, it was something new for me And so I really wanted to find my footing first yep. And then I'm going to be going into other people's worlds But you know, there's so many amazing I New know. Zealand writers out there So um, just a few weeks ago I did a um, an event with um, the Auckland Crime Writers Group yep. And it was um, 10 crime writers in 100 minutes And... <laughs> We had 10 minutes and we did a little reading and I was like, okay, I have to buy all your books now <laughs> um, because they're amazing. And so, yeah, I hope there's going to be more visibility yeah. for that. And um, I know the New Zealand Crime and Libraries program is taking off again yep. this year. Yep. So, um, yeah, I'll be discovering more. So watch the space? Okay, space. I shall speak about more New Zealand noir writers soon.
0: <laughs> On the noir and the thriller angle though, we were chatting in, the, in yeah. the green room and you were saying some of your um, fans and readers are feeling like you're cheating on the, your other <laughs> genres by not producing the next one in the series so what does that look like to come back to um, the story worlds in, of the Psy Changeling or the, the Guild series?
1: Yeah, so um, it's quite funny because people think if I wasn't writing the thrillers I would spend that time writing more books in my running series but that's not how it works Um, I need a particular period of time to to think about stories from each world so if I'm not writing the thrillers I'll be doing something else I won't be writing the series books Um, so I like the difference and I've always liked having projects that are slightly different I don't like working on the same thing back to back Um, Even my two series, the Guildhunter series and the Side Changing series, they're very different. They're very different in tone. One is much darker and and grimmer and the other one's warmer. Um, And it's just, I feel like it refreshes my brain each time. So when I go back to it, I'm excited again to be working in that genre, subgenre world. And and that's the same with the thrillers. I am having a little bit of time off from the thrillers and I've got this little ideas bubbling away. And I like to have that time to simmer. Like, you know, a pot is on simmer for a while. And I just like to leave (laughs) my subconscious simmering away for a few months. I like that. And then I'm ready to bring it to a boil, so to speak, (laughs) you know? Yeah.
0: You'll have people hanging out, (laughs) I'm sure. Um, What are your readers and fans um, like? And do you you connect with them in person at events like this and through social media? And what's that like Uh, as a writer?
1: um, So mostly... uh, I've connected online and that's because most of the time I've been in countries where my readership wasn't.
0: Okay.
1: Yep. So I was working in Japan at one point and then um, I was in New Zealand and I wasn't published in New Zealand for a long time. So my publishing career began in the US. Yep. So my readership was mostly in the US, yep. particularly before ebooks, you know, when it's print books, it's who's going to be able to walk into a bookstore and buy my books? And it was in the US. So I learned to really connect with my readers online, yeah. um, you know, through all the usual Facebook, um, Twitter, all of that, newsletter. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, after being published in New Zealand, I've also had the chance to have local events and stuff, which has been really, really That's nice. Cool. Yeah, and being able to connect with people um, in reality. And prior to... <clears throat> You know what? Yep. Um, <laughs> I used to travel a bit, yeah. so I got to um, go to conventions and things like that. Yeah. And it was really fun. And different countries do different types of conventions. And yeah. Um, yeah, and I think the thing is with readers, I think if you're a reader, you can go anywhere in the world and you'll be perfectly comfortable with other readers because you always have something to talk about, you know, especially if you go to. For example, if you're a science fiction fan and you go to a science fiction convention, that's just like a built in friendly <laughs> audience, you know? You've always, and it's the same with romance or yep. mysteries or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I've always enjoyed those kind of conventions overseas. It's
0: like a community. Yes. In that regard. Um, and I, I was reading this book on the plane a couple of weeks ago, and the flight attendant was like, oh! I said, saying, I'm such a fan of all her other books. What's this one like? Um, and you've, you were saying you've had friends, uh friends, sorry, fan, fans, friends connect together in, in moments around mm. the world, and you've been able to hear about that. What, tell us about. Yeah, it's like.
1: it's um it's really touching to know that I could be the reason two strangers um, become friends. That's that's, and I think you have to realize where I came from. I came, I was born in Fiji. You know, I, as a young girl growing up. I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know any writers. Writers were sort of these magical beings in the sky that wrote (laughs) books, you know. And even when I was growing up in New Zealand, I didn't know any writers. And so the idea that my books are reaching people all over the world now, that's just astonishing. Mm. And I'm always humbled by it when I hear of it. I, I never take it for granted because... To make a living as a writer is—it's rare, Mm -hmm. and I really appreciate that I am able to do it. You know, because it's all I've ever wanted to do. Mm.
0: (laughs) That's good. I like hearing that. Um, I want to turn to your um, Cy Changeling series, and I want to ask you—you said you start. Before you said you start with a sort of concept of a what if and then you can kind of go from there, but the story world and the the concepts and, and everything in in the novels of that series that i 've read it's such a huge worldscape. What does that take to do that? Do you, do you sit there like with a whiteboard or are you just writing and it comes out, or how do you how do you get to that that, that scale of a world i guess
1: so it's um I don't do the world-wielding ahead of time. No, okay. Because I think, for me, my process is I write my way into the world yep. and I particularly like to write my way into the world from a particular character's point of view because I feel like that's more natural because you see what they see, you know yep. what they know, and so it's a process of discovery that's very natural as opposed to if I built a world, <laughs> then I would like, I know I would like, Try and put all the pieces of it in there, and it would just feel chunk, like yeah. clunky. Yep. It doesn't work like that for every writer, but for me in particular. Um, and so the growth that happens is the growth is via character, because each character obviously exhibits a different part of the world, yep. even if only slightly. And so the world grows again and again. And then the trick is keeping track of it all, because that's <laughs> the that takes work. Because that's where people will trip you up as well. <laughs> because think about a long-running series, any long-running yeah. series, that's actually millions of words written at a certain point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have to keep track of where somebody's scar is. Yeah. Is it on the left or the right side of their face? <laughs> How big is it? I'm not saying I got it wrong once. <laughs> it was a magical scar, okay? <laughs> um, it's quite funny, I tell people it's a collector's edition because... <laughs> Because it was a mistake, was in the hardcover, and then someone picked it up. A reader picked it up, and it did. was fixed in the paperback. So it's only in the hardcover. So it's been fixed in the paperback and the ebook. So I'm like, yeah, you've got a collector's edition. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's actually continuity is yeah. a big deal to me because I know that, if, for example, if you watch TV and there's a continuity mistake yep. that might affect the plot, yep. it'll niggle at me because I'm like, I can't trust these people you anymore. Know. Because they're making mistakes. And for me, the tension in a series, whether it's on TV or in a book, is held by continuity. Because you know, okay, this got messed up. How are they going to fix it? There's no magic fix. There's these factors that have been put in place. And that's where the tension comes from. So I spend a lot of time um, checking continuity. Yep. I'm quite obsessive about it. (laughs) Um, I used to do it all of it myself, but um, I do. My sister helps me now, and she keeps like a wiki basically of my own world. (laughs) It's private. And then I'll be like, Can you just remind me about this point? And and she'll send through this manifesto. And (laughs) so I like, for example, I have characters who were in book two, and then they have a book 10 books later. And so there's 10 books worth of material on that character and she'll put it all together. Okay. And so, (laughs) yeah, so I'm reading bits. So that means the character um, progression is natural and it's um, maintained. There's no sort of erratic movement because the character has grown to a certain point. Um, And then you have to make sure all the details fit. Like are they allergic to chocolate? (laughs) <laughs> I don't have them suddenly eating a chocolate bar, right. you know, because yep. so, people are like, oh, they're going to drop dead now, you know. <laughs> so um, because you have to realise that I'm writing them 10 years apart, but yeah. a reader might be reading them within a month, yeah. you okay. know. So it has to all hold together. Yeah. I actually like it. Yeah. I mean, it's work, but I like it because it's that's what makes a book, like for me as a reader, it yeah. makes it interesting. Yep. It's those little Easter eggs where – Yep. You can pick up. Oh my god, this is a point that was brought up in book three, and now eight books later, here it is.
0: Satisfying to yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if you're thinking about the character drivenness of these worlds, this uh, Sel- I want to get her name right, Selinka Durev. Yep. She's a female alpha wolf. Mm. Do you? Are you? Did you take a feminist point into that, or what? What were you trying to? Think about when you made the alpha of the pack a female leader because she has her own battles to to fight.
1: (laughs) That's right. And I I was very aware of not just making her a carbon copy of a male alpha and then just making her a female because that's not the point. With each character, I always think of this person has to be unique. Yeah this person is their own person. Yeah. And that's what makes a series interesting is each character having their own personality and quirks and yeah. strengths and weaknesses. So that's how I went into Selenka as well. The fact she's an alpha is a part of her character. So it has to be woven yeah. into how she would act um, given her past and her history and what shaped her. And so she is. she'll take off your head just <laughs> like any other alpha if you threaten <laughs> her people. But she's also... She's very content in who she is. Yeah. So she doesn't have to posture. Yeah. So she is the alpha who will let one of the little kids paint her nails because it makes the little kid happy. Yeah, And for her, she's a very nurturing alpha as yeah. well. She's in touch with that side of herself. But at the same time, she is very physically able to be violent if necessary. Yes. You know? so, <laughs> yeah, so she was a really interesting character to write. Yeah, um, She was very... From the start, she existed as a person, yep. and so I didn't sort of have to... Some characters are very hard to get to know, and Selinka was whole in herself um, almost from the first All time yeah. in the on the page. Yep. Yeah.
0: At one point in the novel, some of the characters remark that... Um, she, so she's gone to comfort members of the pack, and one of the characters is like, how does she have the energy to keep going? And, and it's said that that's, that's who she is, and the kind of nurturing part of it is... Um, part of her, A, her alpha way of operating, but also it's what she kind of draws her energy from as well.
1: Mm, I think um, it's also challenging the idea of alpha as just like a physical sort of alpha male kind of stereotype. Uh, Being an alpha in the series is as much about being a caretaker, whether you're a male or female, because their job is to make sure the pack survives and thrives. And so the bad alphas are actually the ones who are just brutally powerful yeah. and then don't care. Yeah. Um, so that is what makes her a strong alpha. Like that's those scenes where she is able to just hug, you know, members of her pack and, yeah. um, when they're grieving. Um, and, um, I think it's, it shows who she is as an alpha without putting it in your face. Yeah. It's, um, it's just a really important part of her being an alpha. And she's respected for that because in their society, that aspect of caring for each other, this is my world that I've built, yeah. is as critical as the physical aspect.
0: Yeah. And what about Ethan? Because reading some of the experiences he goes through, my brain was hurting as well. <laughs> um, is, is it quite physically painful to write those scenes where he's... Um, Undergoing his, um, his, brain hurt. I'm going to call it. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, it can be like it can be very emotional. Yeah. Being, because I, it's not like I am the character, but I'm very empathetic yeah. to the character. These are to me, these are people I know. Um, as I'm writing, and so I am sad for them.
0: Yeah,
1: and I hurt for them. For what they're going through And I've literally cried The keyboard writing a scene Because it's just too traumatic And had to walk away and then rewrite it I once famously didn't write a scene Because I was too scared (laughs) (laughs) And I handed in the book without the scene And my editor came back saying Did you delete the scene here or something? I was like, okay, I'll write it (laughs) I wrote it I cried Then I went and vacuumed the house (laughs) I hate vacuuming. Beyond (laughs) any other chore, I will do anything. I will swap with anyone for any chore except vacuuming. I'll come to your house
0: and do vacuuming. I love
1: it. (laughs) Welcome. I'll clean the toilets, but I hate vacuuming. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I went and vacuumed, and then I was calmed down, and then I went back and edited that scene. Wow. So it can be very intense, particularly if it's characters I've got to know over a long period or just someone that just resonates and – it happens a lot, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it does. I do. I'm not very distant um, from my characters.
0: Is it the same for all of your books? So, in the um, Guild Hunter series, we've got Archangel's Son, which is number th- Lucky Number Thirteen. <laughs> um, where do you see that series going from here?
1: So I have an arc in mind, a story arc. Um, Excuse the pun. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And I've always, that series has a very tight core cast. Mm -hmm. And I've always said I don't really want to diverge too far from the core cast. And so when the story comes to a point where it's ready to finish, I will finish it. Okay even though actually it'll be quite traumatic (laughs) because I'm really attached to all the characters. And so if anybody gets my newsletter, you know, I do these vignettes um, that I just send out with the newsletter about where characters are um, at a particular time. They're just little looks into their lives. And I really, and because the way the series is structured with the tight core cast, I know them very, very well. Mm. And, it's going to be difficult to let go, yeah. but I think I would rather let go on a high when we're all still really devoted to the characters <laughs> and just desperate to know what happens next to them, than to just keep going because I can't let go yeah. and then it, it, it'll lose its power.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I've always said this series will be shorter than my other series. Yeah. And yeah... <laughs> when the time comes <laughs> but um it's not quite yet so don't panic if you read the series <laughs> but um but you know i'm not going to leave it hanging you know i the resolution i have in mind is a resolution yeah and it's a nice i feel like it's a nice bookend yep. to the series and then you can go back and you can read through the series and it should feel complete
0: okay the empath in me is seeing how connected you are to your characters. It's really <laughs> lovely. Um, for anyone who hasn't read any of your books, mm-hmm. which one would you tell them to start with?
1: Ooh, <laughs> um, I would say it depends on what you like yep. to read. Obviously, Can I give us a prescription. Yes, yes I will okay. give you – if you like, obviously, if you're more contemporary and if you're more into the mysteries, then start with one of the two mysteries because they both stand alone. hmm but if you don't mind a bit of speculative fiction, a bit of different world stuff, then I would say start with Slave to Sensation, the first Sai Changing series. Okay. The reason I say that is because it was my breakout book, it's where most people found me. And the Guild Hunter series which starts with Angel's Blood is a lot harder and grittier. There's a lot more blood in it. <laughs> <laughs> These are not fluffy angels. <laughs> These are very dangerous deadly type of angels. Yep. And um, I feel like the Side Changing series, you know, it has a warmer heart. So it's an mm. easier entry into uh, if you want to try the paranormal type books. Um, yeah, and if you, obviously if you like cute contemporary mystery, uh, romances, then you can try one of my hard play or rock kiss books. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, let's see, what's the latest? Love Hard came out last year, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it's set in Auckland. It's a rugby player and um, his nemesis from high school. So now she called him petrol head (laughs) in high school. And he was just like, oh my God, stop talking to me. And now they're falling in love. It's cute. You know, it's fun. And I think sometimes we need cute and fun. And so I'm a big believer in reading what speaks to you. So what, what you emotionally need. So yeah, go for one of those ones, okay. yeah, depending on your mood and your tastes.
0: I'm thinking you could build a feature into your website where you like plug in yeah. <laughs> how you're feeling and what you need, and then it spits out a, right, I've prescribed this book for you to read. <laughs> um, and speaking of your website and your newsletter, and um, the FAQs, the reader videos, the advice about reading order, et cetera... Um, what, it's, it's quite a sort of 21st-century uh, approach to wrapping um, con- content around an author and the work. How do you see the role of those uh, meta-texts meta or however you want to kind of describe that? What's that what, – what do you see its purpose in connecting you to, to your readers or f- building out the story worlds for you? What's, what's it?
1: Um, so I've always had a website from my first book and I've always t- – Liked it because this is real estate I own on the internet. So, for example, I have a Facebook page as well, but that's controlled by Facebook. (laughs) So tomorrow they could decide they hate me and shut down my page. And there goes all those people who rely on that to know about my books. So I think it's important for a writer to have somewhere where they can connect with readers without the barrier of another corporation. Um, in between, and that's the same as my newsletter, which is the readers are allowing me to send them an email to their inbox. You know, there's no no middle man in between. Um, and as f- terms of the extra material, I do a lot of it is because I'm a reader myself, yeah. and I'm like, what do I like? And I like getting little behind the scenes things or like little extras, like DVD extras. You know, yeah. when you're a fan of something. It's a little bit extra. It's fun. Yeah. And um, so I take it from that perspective. The text, the book is always the, the central material. And then everything else is like a little extra um, as a gift yeah. to my readers that, that um, I hope they enjoy it and thanks for the support. Um, and also, you know, a lot of those things I used to write for myself. Yeah. Like by, late at night, I would like write a little vignette and I had quite a folder of them. I think I mentioned it online once, and people were like, give it to us. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you just hold, hoarding this? So, <laughs> I started sharing them, and yeah, people seem to enjoy them. They're little fun yeah. things, you know, just like a little five-minute read to make someone smile. And that's that's uh, I'm happy with that. And for the other material that's on the website, that's grown over time. Yeah. In terms of the reading lists and stuff, and that's really just to make it easier for readers. So if they're trying to track down a particular book in the series, you know they can click to a link and it'll show them availability or where it falls in the series. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's good. Yeah.
0: Um, I've got some quick fire questions as well, just okay? Because we want to pull out a little bit. We want to get to know you a little bit more. Um, coffee or tea? Tea. Okay. Marmite or Vegemite?
1: Never. <laughs> I got a story about that when we came to New Zealand. Um, you know, I was at school, you know, printed primary school, and everyone was having marmite and chip sandwiches. <laughs> I was like, "What is this?" And my mum's like, "I don't know. Let's buy some." And so we did, and we didn't know how to eat marmite because we never heard about it, and so we whacked it on like you know, Ooh, like <laughs> oh, and I oh. was just like. <laughs> And I, now we were all traumatised. <laughs> so <laughs> I've never been able to eat Marmite or Vichemite. Fair <laughs> so. enough.
0: There is an art to getting <laughs> yeah. the balance of the butter yeah. and the Marmite just right and the right temperature of the bread. Yeah. But that's a whole other <laughs> Um What uh, – <laughs> this is a random one – but what snacks do you enjoy while you're writing?
1: What snacks do I enjoy? Well, it depends how close it is to deadline. Yes. Um, chocolate. Mm-hmm. Nuts when I'm feeling healthy, yep,
0: <laughs> brain food,
1: salty potato chips oh. when it's all going downhill <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that's yep. probably it, yeah, salt and sugar, salt and sugar, yeah,
0: get through it, and as a reader, do you prefer a physical book or an ebook an on a on a
1: Kindle? yeah, um, I really like physical books mm. that's if I can have my preference I would get it physically just because I think I also work on a screen so it's really nice to have that break and just be completely separate from a uh, screen of any kind but I also like the access of ebooks because there are some stuff I can't get in print um, or it's going to take a really long time and I have no patience so and also I got into audiobooks last year So that's another thing that's totally different. But I really do love that print, like especially a beautifully bound hardcover. Yeah. It's just so nice. And I think part of me is still the kid who always wanted the hardcovers. And so now I'm like, I can buy them for myself. So uh, (laughs) I'll buy the hardcovers, sit down with a cup of tea and like, it feels like a experience. That's
0: experiential. Yeah. 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 Do you fold down the pages or do you no. Just bookmark? No. What oh, a bit of nerve.
1: I'm never lending you a book.
0: <laughs> just, um, <clears throat> I do have bookmarks. <clears throat> um, what was your
1: favourite childhood book? Oh my gosh. I, my parents got me a fairy tale book yep. when I was very young. I still have it. Yep. It's got a blue cover. And it's – I remember all the stories from it because I think it was the first book that was mine because books were really expensive in Fiji. So mostly – and also really hard to get because they're just not imported. And so we just used the library a lot. But this book was mine (laughs) and I was like, don't touch it to anyone else and – and, yeah, the stories were beautiful, had beautiful artwork inside it. Um, so I think it's just the emotional connection yeah. to that book is really deep. And to this day, you know, I have it. Um, at some point I'll pass it on to a child, you know, and hopefully they'll enjoy it yeah. as well. Yeah. So I think the fairy tales are timeless. Yeah. Particularly if they're written – that book was written for children. Yeah. So it's not the gruesome fairy tales. It's, <laughs> it's like then cute, cute fairy tales. But, yeah, it's – and there's – there's an attachment to that book also because of the love involved yeah. in being given that book. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a lovely way of thinking about childhood um, yeah. texts and the effect they have. Yeah. On encounter them. Yeah. Um, what about what's the book that you wished you'd written?
1: Oh, see, the, I find this an interesting question yeah. because I've never wished I'd written a book because I always think. If I love a book so much, I wish they'd written a lot more. <laughs> That's yeah. my, like, thing. I'm just so delighted yeah. to find someone that I can fall into yeah. because I think, yeah, it's more a case of I wish I could meet the person who wrote this. Yeah. That's what I have. So one of my heroes growing up, um, literary heroes, is Anne McCaffrey, Yep, who's a science fiction and fantasy writer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fans in the audience yeah <laughs> yeah she, she, she wrote huge um you know she wrote a huge over of books yeah. and she was the first person when she passed away that I felt like kind of lost someone I knew Aww, she was yeah. the first celebrity you know that that I felt that emotional bond to because of how much I'd read her work yeah. and how much I'd been affected by it yeah, yeah. so yeah for me it's not like I don't want to write them. No. I just wish I could meet them and, yeah. and talk to them and yeah. have a cup of tea with them. Just <laughs> be like, oh, you're so wonderful.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so who are the writers you'd bring to your dinner party?
1: With my dinner party? Oh, my gosh. So Sharon Lee and Steve Miller, yeah. they're a writing team. They write space opera. Yep. I love their books because they have this crazy family. You follow their adventures and just love them. Um, I would also invite Nora Roberts Mm -hmm. because she is just incredible. And if you've ever heard her speak, she's got, like, no filter. She's amazing. I love listening to her speak. She'll just give it to you straight. I just think she would be just the (laughs) best guest to have at dinner. Um, Who else would I? I'm going to forget someone. But anyway, I'll just keep going. I think I'd bring in someone from a historical. Yep, Like – Maybe not Jane Eyre, maybe a troublemaker like one of the Bronte's. Yeah. That would be, can you imagine having them at your dinner party? Like, that would be interesting. And, um, hmm, who else? There was a nonfiction book I read, and it was about a neuroscientist who mm-hmm. discovered that he has the brain scans of a psychopath. Oh, cheery. I'd invite him. <laughs> Because that book is fascinating. I yeah. think it's called The Psychopath Within, okay. if you want to look it up. It down. <laughs> and it's a great story because he literally was doing a, a genealogy type yeah. scan thing and also a study on psychopaths in prison. And, Isn't it? <laughs> and at one point he thought his research assistant mess, messed up the, the scans because there was his <gasps> scan in among the psychopaths like looked like the psychopaths and so he went off on his assistant but the assistant hadn't made a mistake he just had the brain scan of a psychopath and so it's really fascinating when you read it because you're just like wow because then he started realizing he does have those traits um so yeah he would be a great guest don't you think (laughs) like (laughs) And sitting next to Nora Roberts and Shirley and Steve Miller and um, yeah, and the Brontes, it would be it would be drama filled. <laughs> I'm not a drama person, so I would be in the corner going, wow. <laughs> taking notes. Well, I was going to say with the
0: note, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Publish my you know bestseller based on this dramatic party, but yeah.
0: Um, what was the other question I was going to ask? Do you have any other creative interests or pursuits? Do you play any instruments or do you paint or anything like that?
1: I used to paint. Yeah. Then um, I started painting nails. Oh, yep. (laughs) And then I did that for a while. That's a creative pursuit. Yeah. It's like tiny, tiny pieces of art that disappear. And then um, last year I got into making little miniatures. Wow. So what I mean by that is if you don't know, it's like – Basically the world in miniature. So I built a tiny bookshop and it's got hundreds of tiny books. In it. Oh. <laughs> and I made some of them my books Oh, because of course I did. <laughs> and it's like this person really likes Nalini Singh books in this bookstore. There's a poster of my books in the bookshop. Oh, I love it. Um, it's so much fun, you guys. <laughs> It's, it's a really tiny detail work and I think I like it because it's physical, like yeah. something with my hands. Um, and quite often I listen to audiobooks yep. while I'm doing it. So I can be doing that and then listening to the audiobook and I just find it really relaxing. Yep. So the latest one I'm working on is um, – so these are kits. You can get kits. So I've started doing some things on my own now. After doing the kits, I've learned enough that I can do – some miniatures on my own. I can make anyone's books <laughs> in miniature. I actually did that for, if you have Instagram, I did that recently for a few favorite books. I made them in miniature and I made an MP3 as well. And <laughs> but um, the latest one I'm working on is a, it's called a book nook. And so it's a shelf insert. So you have a bookshelf and then you insert this into And it's like a little world inside the nook. Oh, wow. So you build it and then you put it all together and, then you slide it into your bookshelf, and it lights up, and it's like a little street. <laughs> it's beautiful, and yeah. So I'm, i I've only just started, so that's a long term project. Yeah.
0: That sounds fun, and we look forward to seeing that play out. <laughs> um, we've got some time for some audience questions. Um, so if you'd like to raise your hand, we've got a roving microphone, and um, if you could direct a question into the microphone, we'd be happy to. We've got a question here. Hi. Um. I don't know much about your books yet, but I. Definitely excited to know about them. Um, do you write everything under your own name, all the different genres? Yes. Did, it, did, it, did you think about having different pen names for the different genres or did you always just want to be, no, this is me and I do lots of different things and people can always
1: find me? Um, I did think about it uh, in terms of particularly when I switched with the Mysteries and then I thought, no, because in the current world, it's very easy to find out someone's pen name anyway. <laughs> and the branding is very clear. And to me, you can't really mistake a thriller for like a paranormal romance. It just, it just does, looks different. And also I thought, I don't really want to start from scratch again yeah. um, as a writer. So I just made the decision... I knew I would have some bad reviews because obviously there are people who would just order the book because they are a fan of mine, which is great, Um, and then be surprised because it's not what they expected. Um, But otherwise, I just made the decision to be really transparent with all my pre-release information. You know, I made sure excerpts went out. I made sure it was all over the website that it was a thriller. I just made it. Very, very obvious. Um, yeah, and I had also talked to other writers who had pen names. <coughs> and um, a lot of them had them because previously, um, sort of 10, 20 years ago, it was sort of a publisher expectation mm. to have them because of bookstores and how books went into bookstores. And a lot of them said it's actually really hard mm. to juggle the multiple pen names. And so... I made the call that I would go with one. I also think, as I said, it's not that different. It's not like I'm writing erotica and children's books, you know? <laughs> the, the audience doesn't need to be separated. It's all adults <laughs> who are reading my books. So I'm like, you know what, people will figure it out. yeah.
0: Imagine keeping track of pen names when you're keeping track of scars on bodies. And- <laughs> yeah, no, <nah. laughs> Too much work. <laughs> <laughs> Too much work, although your sister might help. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions?
1: So I was just um, referring to your
0: newsletter that you mentioned before, and I really want to get up in that. <laughs> if, you're, if I start today, like go on your website today, can I see, is there a way to be able to see all the newsletters that you've sent out before to people that have been
1: them already? Yeah, yeah. So um, with each newsletter, we have a clickable link to the previous newsletter. So you can just keep clicking backward until you get to the point where it stops. And the point it stops is the point where we've put all the newsletter material into an ebook. So there's a volume one, which you'll get when you subscribe. You can just download that, and it has all the material from about three or four years. Worth of newsletters, so we made it into a downloadable ebook, so people don't have to keep clicking. So um, you'll only be clicking back about ten newsletters or so, I think. So you'll be fine. Yeah, you. And if there's something that's still missing, um, you can just email Ashwini. That's my sister, and she'll she'll get it to you.
0: There you go. <laughs> I've got a question over here. Hi there. Um, what advice would you give to someone that is getting ready to send? Um, a submission off to agents, and who finds the whole industry just incredibly intimidating, and doesn't think they look like an author. And you know, you you mentioned growing up in Fiji, you didn't know any authors, and um, who just feels very intimidated. And and can you tell me of the surprises that you had, good and bad, as you entered the industry and went down that path?
1: Okay, so I want you to have the confidence of a teenager who doesn't know any better. <laughs> Because that was me. <laughs> I submitted when I was a teenager, and I thought it was going to be accepted straight away, and they're going to give me a million dollars. Sadly, they sent me a rejection that was on paper this small. They didn't even give me a full piece of paper. Oh. So um, it was fine. I recovered. But I was a teenager. I thought, oh, they just, they just don't understand my genius, and I kept going. Um, honestly, there is no one person who is, looks like a writer. You know, you could be the next person who people look to and say, I wish I could write like them. So what I would say is believe in yourself um, because you know your own work. And also one little piece of advice that I got given when I went in submission was um, don't just have one thing. Like don't have one submission to one agent only because then it becomes like this thing you obsess over. Have more than one. So even if you get a rejection, you're like, okay, well, I've still got three other things you know, submissions out there, one of those could be the one and then keep that going Um, and so that there's always hope which is really important when you're a writer. Um, In terms of surprises, I think it's going to be different for everyone depending on the journey you go on. One thing I would prepare for is that if you sell a book, um, you're going to have a lot more calls on your attention than you realise So when you write a book as a writer, you just write the book and it's done. Um, But once you get into publication, you're going to deal with edits, copy edits, you know, revisions. And so all of that needs to be worked into your timeline if you sign a two-book contract. Don't sign it thinking you're going to write it in the same amount of time as you wrote the first book. Because in the second book, you're going to be doing edits for that first book. So you need to build in that time that was a big surprise I got because I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll take me this long to write." Oh my god, I'm never going to finish this, book, <laughs> you know. So yeah, that's a that's a little tip I can give you.
0: That's good. Uh, good question. Yeah. We've got time for one more question. Is there a there's a hand going up at the front?
1: Um, my question was actually about your process when you write. So what time you write, and and the other part of the question was um, how long it takes you to write an eighty thousand word novel. Uh, so. How I write is, so I'm on contract for most of my work and so there's a deadline something has to be in by. And it's not an arbitrary deadline. It's something we decide together. So me, my editor, my agent, we're like, what else am I doing? When can I get a book in? So I say, okay, well, let's say a book is due end of April. Then I would work backwards from April because I know how many words a day I can write in a first draft. Mm -hmm. And I know after all this time, how long it takes me to edit a first, a second draft, a third draft, sometimes a fourth draft. (laughs) So I work backwards until I get to a point where I'm like, I have enough wiggle room now that I can turn the book in at this Mm -hmm. point. And the reason I do that is I'm not one of those people who has ever been happy racing to deadline. I'm not the kid who studied till midnight for exam because that just stresses me out (laughs) and with writing a book I feel like I would feel the book was rushed so I'm very steady in terms of I have a I have to produce like say I have to write 3,000 words per day on a first draft it doesn't matter when in the day I do it I just have to do it to keep to my schedule and um but I am a bit more structured now like I You should just clear my emails in the morning. And normally I wouldn't recommend doing your emails in the morning because I feel like you should do the creative stuff first and have that done. But because I work with London and New York, I have to to get them in the office, particularly New York. Otherwise they're gone, so there's a two-day time delay in conversation with them. So I quickly clear emails and then I write. And then if it's a good day... The words are in by lunchtime and then I can do admin stuff in the afternoon. If it's not a good day, it's still 7 o'clock at night and I'm at my desk. But there's wiggle room there because I no longer schedule weekends. I used to once upon a time and then I realised I was just stressed out because there was no room to mess up, no room to not produce on a day and be like, I am now three days behind. (laughs) Whereas now I have the weekend, so if I do have something unexpected come up in the week, yeah.
0: well,
1: that's fine. I can put in a couple of hours on a Saturday and get myself back on track. And how long does it take me to write an 80,000-word book? To produce a completed book, most of my books are over 100,000. So to produce a completed book where I would be happy to give it to my editor, probably between five to six months. There you go. Hmm. but that can change you know that can change per book I have to say there's no it's one thing I've learned is there is no right (laughs) answer you know like some books are just like want to be written and it's like and three months later it's there it's ready it's (laughs) gone and then another book's like a year later I'm still fiddling with it so yeah but I I usually say five to six months if it's as an answer
0: Thank you for those wonderful questions. Um, And thank you, Nalini. It's been really wonderful chatting to you and getting to know you through your wonderful works that we're all excitedly reading. Some of us have got some homework reading newsletters tonight. (laughs) Um, I really want to thank the Dunedin Writers' Festival for making this event possible, in particular Booksellers New Zealand. Um, and there's a lot more in the program everyone so keep an eye out Saturday, Sunday. Some of you will be lucky enough to be joining Nalini in her writing workshop this evening. Um, Sold out so um, that'll be a good time. Uh, You can pop down to the UBS Otago book stall, grab some books. Um, Nalini will be doing some signing so you'll be able to have a chance to Uh, continue the kōrero there so again thanking you to the audience Um, you guys are such an important part of these festivals and your your contribution and and reading the works of these wonderful authors that are joining us so we'll just take a second to show our appreciation to Nalini This Dunedin Writers and Readers Festival podcast was brought to you with funding from Copyright Licensing New Zealand and the expertise of ORFM The festival also offers thanks to our major funders, Creative New Zealand, the Dunedin City Council and the Otago Community Trust.
1: This podcast was produced by
0: ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On Air.